You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. There's stuff I thought about talking about, but we've kind of done it to death. <laughs> the story of our life. Tech Fan Podcast number 128. I'm Tim Robertson, and he's David Cohen. Hey, David. Hello. How are you? I'm okay, actually. We uh, are hoping that we have a, uh, a guest today, but he is not online that I can see, and he didn't send me his official Skype number. I have his telephone number, but we don't do the telephone thing, because if we do, I can only talk to that person. Yeah. I saw an article online today. It was on the BBC of all places, saying, "Is the telephone dead?" You know, really? <laughs> you just—I mean, I think I—I I hope our listeners realise that you know, those of us who love technology, we—you know—it's so easy nowadays to live in this little tech bubble, where you think every everything is all about the shiny and the new and the new way of doing things, and completely forget that. 99% of the world's population or more had not only do they have only passing interest in these things but they still do things the way they've always done them in the main yep you know and the idea that that people don't use telephones anymore is just laughable absolutely laughable and yet you know you still keep seeing this sort of stuff pop up in the media like that social media and email and text messaging and everything has taken over the world and nobody ever talks to each other via voice anymore and it's just ridiculous i agree what i don't understand is somebody writing that story presumably outside of their work life whatever must live in the real world they must have to communicate with people i don't know i you know there's some techno people out there nowadays that they're so immersed in the shiny and new and they don't have a whole lot of interaction with people like uh, the Snowden guy, mm. his whole life seems to be, had been online. And, uh, I was reading a lot of articles about this guy when he, that was still the big news. And it seems like he was just so into technology. And I've noticed that people are, that are really, really into it that that's their whole life and people could say well that's what about you guys you guys do a, a podcast called tech fan well we have families we do a lot of things outside of tech yeah but the people who are kind of immersed in it that don't leave their house often that their job is online and that's their whole life i found those people to be uh, kind of into their own thing they're, they're, they're kind of blind to the real world and and a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are very, it's about them. Yeah. You know, the whole world is about them. And uh, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with it. But don't you think these developments are much more interesting if you actually think about how they are going to affect the real world as opposed to, you know, just the blogs? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I don't agree. Hey, you went and saw the same movie I did last week. Yeah. <laughs> Pacific Rim. 
Pacific Rim. Uh, we won't give any spoilers, but uh, I don't know. I had a, I had I enjoyed the movie. Let me say that first of all, it was a visual feast. I mean, it was just brilliant when it came to you know the effects, the acting. Yeah, it was, it was okay. But it's not it's not really a movie that's about the acting. It's about the setup, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, it, it was in some ways. I find it was I found it was more of a comic book movie than the big comic book movies of the summer. Oh yeah, it was more comic book than the Batman. The last three Batman oh, yeah, movies, abso- no absolutely. question. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, the last the last Batman movie really wasn't a comic book movie. No. But yeah, but you know, if you look at um, the Superman movie from from this summer, or even Iron Man three, it was much more comic book than than those two films. Oh, I agree, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the no. last the new Superman's more sci fi than anything. Yeah. But then yeah. again, I, Superman kind of is sci-fi. I know people are like, what? No, he's not. Yeah, he kind of... The best Superman stories were always kind of set in a, more of a sci-fi type of setting, not the bam, bam, pow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. is any, everybody listening to this has seen the commercials by now. Monsters come out of the Pacific Ocean, and the world government has created giant robots to fight them. Yeah. <laughs> My point to David was... That's the most effective way to fight these things? Really? Giant billion-dollar robots. That's that's how we're going to fight them. Not, uh, not only that, fighting them hand-to-hand. <laughs> <laughs> Jiu-jitsu with giant robots and monsters. That's the answer. That's not, the not setting up these sensors where they keep coming from and deploying nukes. And, oh, we got a hit. There's one. Boom. Nuke goes off in the middle of the ocean. And, okay, reset the sensors and uh, drop down another nuke. Get ready for the next one. No, that's that's not effective at all. (laughs) (laughs) Fighting them hand-to-hand with a 200-foot robot in the middle of the city it's attacking. So you trash the city while you're killing the the monster. (laughs) Well, they say that most of the fights take place in the ocean, but... Yeah. And that was another problem I had. How are they standing up fighting in the middle of the ocean? (laughs) How are they doing that? Is there, like, some... 20 foot you know shallow i don't know underground islands that right next to this thing they're coming out of and that's where they stand up and fight because you know they show them okay they're they're close to the shoreline but it's a hundred fathoms out there how are they standing up and fighting i i just could not i tried so hard david just to kind of suspend that scientific brain of mine going "Eh, okay it's just it's fun and i did that for the most part, but I don't know how they're standing up in the middle of the ocean fighting. I think they had inflatable toes. <laughs> <laughs> and punching punching the, the big giant monster, that's more effective than dropping bunker-busting bombs that can penetrate, you know, 12 feet of solid concrete and explode... Well, there I can give them a bit more of a pass in that those sorts of weapons are designed to hit something that's not moving, whereas obviously these these things actually move pretty quick. Yeah, but we have the technology to, to make a bunker-busting bomb a cruise missile, yes? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I, I, I suppose. Uh, I mean, <laughs> kind of the strange thing is really is, is uh, you know, and, and yeah, let me put this in perspective, I, don't, I really, really like this movie. 
I know. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of the classic Japanese Godzilla films, and this is basically it's Godzilla take, versus it's Shogun take, Warriors. It's it's taking those two very Japanese themes. If you've ever watched an episode of the Power Rangers, where they take those um, Japanese shows with guys in suits dressed up as robots fighting monsters, this is basically a modern. Uh, Western update of those ideas turned into a, a multi-million-dollar movie, and and if if you go into it with that view that you just want to you know go in with, with the twelve-year-old mind view that you just want to see big robots fighting big monsters, you'll have a great time. You know, the, some of the set pieces are amazing. So the way the robots fight is pretty cool. Um, the way they kind of hang the plot together around that to try and turn it into a story is, yeah, it's not the brilliant, most brilliant story in the world, but it's pretty good. This, there, are, there is one standout um, acting performance from a British actor um, who I thought was, was really, really good. Um, and, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But <laughs> getting back to the practicalities of it. So, so they, they build the robots, and the robots are going to fight the monsters and so what that means is that every other defense they have, basically, they just don't bother using anymore. Right. So, you know, it's like if the monster slips past the robot or manages to destroy the robot, yeah, they have nothing. There's no guns. You know, you'd think they would have walls with missiles and guns and tanks and planes and that sort of thing. No, they don't have any of that. Nothing. You don't, you just don't, giant 70-foot robots. Yeah, the only military hardware you see in this movie is after the opening. Um, once they've got the robots, yeah, is helicopters that carry the robots. <laughs> That's all you see. You don't see anything else. And it's like, well, you know, you know, you really are kind of putting all your eggs in one basket with that one, guys. <laughs> and they've built some incredible technology that allows humans to basically merge their minds somehow. They could come up with the technology to do that, but they can't figure out, you know what, let's make this like a, a big flying gun <laughs> just blast these things as they come out nah we're gonna stick two people in a giant robot and have them kung fu each other uh, but that being said i didn't i i like the movie it was fun it was dumb fun yeah i don't i i hear it's not doing so well i don't quite understand that i thought it would be a bigger hit than than it is wow you know speaking of hits there's uh there's just so many big movies coming out now david it seems like I was listening to the Casual Heroes podcast. Um, it's the latest one up there on the Stoplight Network, and it's uh, called Wolverine. Uh-huh. And our buddy Nick Rodriguez was actually on uh, the last episode, and they were talking about movies. And I was just, oh, I wanted to be in on that conversation. And one of them asked is, you know, when is these superhero comic book movies going to peter out? When's the death of those? And uh, somebody said, never. And I agree. They're never going to go away. Because they will always make money. And we're we're kind of stuck with these huge, big-budget movies now. That's what the movies are. You know what? I, I mean, I agree with that in principle. I think, actually, the way the studios are executing at the moment is not going to last. If you, I, I, saw a, I agree with that. I saw a, um, a article a couple of days ago that looked at next year's no the year after plan. 2015 it, yeah and basically there is nothing i think there's one movie that summer that's going to be not um a sequel or a reboot of an existing franchise yeah but it's actually purely original everything else is either a sequel or a reboot i mean three of the movies alone could be the highest grossing movie of all time you have 
Star Wars Episode Seven, you have Batman, Superman, and you have Avengers Two. Just those three movies are billion-dollar movie each. Gross. Worldwide. Just those three. Are you telling me any of those movies won't be successful? I'm not saying that. No, I'm just saying that's that's yeah. the problem. I, but I think the problem is if you have a hundred... I mean, the budgets on these things are really starting to, to go high now. If you have a $150, $160, $170 million budget, plus the cost of promoting the movie, which probably cost you another $100 million... Superman alone yeah. was $225 million to make. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the problem is... is I don't that know where the money was unless they actually rented New York and destroyed it. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I don't see where the money went. I, I guess... I guess there was an awful lot going on that was... The problem is a lot of the effects you see now aren't, you know, big bang effects. They are removing things they use to make the movie. Yeah. Um, and also there's an awful lot of digital modification. So they'll use a stuntman now and then they'll they'll replace him him with the actor. Not just his face, not just a thing. You know, they'll, they'll digitally redo the entire actor. Uh, and, you know, that, that costs an enormous amount of money to do that. And they do it because they can. You know, whereas in the old days, they just make sure they had a camera angle. See, I don't think it does cost face. an enormous amount of money, David, and here's why. There's this little-known thing that most moviegoers are unaware of. These are special effects houses. See, they, the, the effects aren't done in-house. No. So they're all farmed out. But none of the special effects houses are protected by any of the guilds, any of the unions. And... Uh, most of them fail after one or two movies. And because it's so competitive, it's really hard for any one of those companies to last long. Now, there's a few. Weta, um, Industrial Light Magic, that's been around for a long time. But they can only do so much with so many new movies coming out. And it's really frustrating that... There was a company right here in Michigan that set up because there was a big tax break and then the government went and screwed around with that and then they all went out of business. But they were having hard times getting projects because the money that was being offered to them to do these projects were nothing. I mean, it was it was hard for them to even pay their employees. And these were big budget movies. Yeah, I, th- I think the problem is from the, from the movie maker's perspective, as I suppose the effects houses, they, yeah, they... they you may be paying not very much for it to each effects house, but if you've got eight or nine effects houses working on those mo- working on those movies, um, and then you've got to think, think about it. Every time you get you get stuff back from them, effects you've got to re-edit the movie. Mm-hmm. I think the actual production costs of the movies are hugely extended by the uh, increased use of special effects. Now, you know you've got to pay your your editing team. Uh, for much longer than traditionally, you know, an, an edit for a movie used to take three, four months. Now it takes two years because they've got to integrate all that effects work. So, so that, I think that all of this stuff, if you bring it all together, is what's pushing the budgets of these movies up. Actually, um, the editing is is faster than it used to be. I hate to bust your bubble there. No, it's no, no. It's faster. I know it's faster, but the point is you have to do it again and again and again. No, they're pretty good at, at, at storyboarding stuff out, and then they just drop the effects in. It's actually a lot easier than it used to be. That's that's my problem. It's easier and cheaper to make a big-budget movie nowadays, except for some reason the costs have skyrocketed. But if you look at the actual budget, you'll actually find out where the money's going, David. It's going to marketing. Marketing the big-budget movies is more than half the budget now. 
So when you but see that, that it costs... Isn't that marketing on top of the actual stated budget of the movie? No, sometimes they merge the two, especially in a right. movie like The Avengers, where it didn't actually cost $225 million to make it. They're rolling in the budgeting for marketing in there as well. So <clears throat> that's the problem. And, and here's, on top of all of that, because of the technology we have nowadays, the time that they're fighting for for our attention is so much smaller. We have so many more choices now. We have terrific video games, just terrific. We have, I think it's, it's a renaissance in television. Right now, television programming is the best it has ever been. Yeah. By far. And it's not just, in fact, it's not even the big studios doing it. I mean, my favorite shows right now aren't being done by CBS or NBC. It's, for instance, number right now, my number one show is Sherlock. And there's been, what, six episodes of that? Yeah. And now each one, of course, is practically a movie unto itself. But it's a brilliant show. The Walking Dead, awesome. And it's yeah. done by A&E. I mean, it's, it's amazing the... the the quality well, of content I mean, we have yeah. to attend to get our attention and yet they're still trying to get us to go to the movie theater you're definitely right there are there are tv tv series being produced today that are um certainly the equal of movies no no they're not they're they're, not they're better. better than movies have ever been yeah as a collective whole mm-hmm. it's i mean movies right now can't compare to television it's not even close it's not even close. And I'm not even throwing into this conversation the amount of time someone's going to be spending on Facebook. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. browsing their computer, playing with their iPad. Our entertainment time... And really, that's the biggest export of America, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. That's what America's about now. It's entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's movies, television fun internet stuff. It's all about entertainment. That's what our economy revolves around. And the devices that bring that entertainment to you, such as iPads and Android devices and flat screen TVs, those kind of things. That's what the world economy is turning into, entertainment. We're all trying to figure out how to make more money so we can spend more money on our entertainment devices. But you still have to have time, for instance, my family and I, to go to the county fair because the kids are yeah. going to make scarecrows and some pictures and stuff to enter in the, the county fair competition. And they want to ride the rides and maybe see the demolition derby and stuff like that. And yet, Hollywood doesn't seem to understand that you got to come up with a business, a business model that better reflects the times. And I don't, I don't think they're doing a very good job of that because... All the money's going into these big budget part four, part five, part six, part seven movies. But we're not getting anything original, it seems. And and even where we do, um, you know, the, the the times where that gets pulled off well are are rare. Yeah. You know, you're not not every director is a Christopher Nolan. You know, um, 
or a Joss Whedon or, or, you know, one of these guys who can actually pull. I mean, like, I think everyone was amazed when the Avengers, when Joss Whedon pulled the Avengers off. Yeah. Because I think everybody thought this, this is either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. To, to bring the uh, stars of four or five different franchises together and actually turn them into a, into a, a movie that was a cohesive whole shares the amount of screen time out, makes good use of the characters, um, and actually, you know, along with all of that, still tells a story that's, that's reasonably compelling. That was a huge achievement, but not everybody can do that. And for every guy who pulls that off, there's going to be a colossal failure, or two, or three, or four. And the more of these reboots and, and, and rewarms of franchises they do, the more likely it's going to be that somebody can't pull it off. Who was the big and, hero and- in Avengers? Who saved the day? The U.S. military uh, when they shot a nuclear missile. <laughs> if only they'd have thought beforehand of instead of firing the nuclear missile at the city, actually firing at the great big space hole in the sky. <laughs> they could have saved everybody an awful lot of trouble. You see that big hole? I know. Let's destroy our city. Yeah. That'll slow them down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, divine, uh, they'll be just the last thing they expected. We kill all our own people. <laughs> you know what? I, I know there are people who do um, podcasts and videos about you know picking apart movies, but yeah. we could probably do uh, do a show like that. That'd be quite fun. Oh yeah, easily. That's. I mean, we just kind of did that on TechMan, but of course we try to relay it to technology, which is in this case yeah. the special effects and things like that. Yeah. But That's right. getting back to Pacific Rim, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. And yeah. I'll, I'll probably buy it in iTunes when it comes out because I do want to see it again. I mean, it's just a, a graphically a beautiful movie, but it, there was nothing original there. No, there wasn't. But you know what? You know what I found magical about it really is that um, uh, it was directed by Guillermo del Toro, who's, who's a great director. He yes. did the Hellboy movies. Yep. Yeah. He has a real love for this sort of material. And he brought a real, a real care to it that I think a lot of other people. I mean, you know, you could eat very easily compare these movies to Transformers movies. Sure. Which you know, it's a similar sort of thing. Giant robots. Yeah. Right, but Transformers, Transformers were uh, terrible. Uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the first one was okay, but no, it kind of went it was downhill terrible. from there. Well, it was I think, terrible. I think no, I think the first one had the advantage nobody had ever seen something quite like that, done like that before. But but the problem is the themes of it, you know, the bombastic military, who, um, you know, even though they're getting their asses kicked by the by the the alien by the evil robots, you know, they're still sh- portrayed as the hero, the plucky heroes, and all of that sort of thing. The uh, the idea that there's just one kid who has the key to un- unlock the entire thing, and he becomes the robot's best friend. All of that kind of hokey stuff that gets crammed into those movies. There wasn't really any of that here. No. This this. This was this was about well here's the setup and this is how it's going to play out and also as well you know something I really appreciate I took my ten year old son to see this movie he'd he'd been he'd been sent home from camp in America early because he was ill uh, I wanted to cheer him up he'd seen the trailer for it um, and and kind of wanted to see it yeah I did a bit of checking around before I took him to see it and I knew that you know the violence in in the in the movie wasn't particularly graphic because it was 
you know, robots fighting monsters. Right. And also there wasn't a lot of, of too much of the adult theme type stuff in there. So I, t- you know, I took a chance to see. He had a great time, and I thought, I thought for a kid of his age, it was a great movie, and it, did, and it, it could so easily have not been that because of those problems. Yeah. Because they could have put, you know, this is a movie that has a love story in it without even a kiss. You know, the, the my favorite part of the movie, quite honestly, after one viewing, was the little Japanese girl. Yeah. When when they're kind of looking in her memories and you see, I thought that was brilliant. And you, It was so evocative show, of old Godzilla movies. It really it was. And was. not only that, you set up the most, with those scenes, they set up the motivation for three characters. Yep. In one go, without yep. a, virtually a single word. That's right. It was it, awesome. I mean, it, it was so well done, and also it set up the love story again without turning it into kind of a, you know the love story, which is what what often gets presented in these sorts of movies. It was so well done. Chad Perry um, and I, uh, Chad was the original co-host of the MyMac podcast with me, and he did geekiest show ever with us for a while. Yeah. Um, that's who I went to see Pacific Rim with, and. Yeah. When we first left the movie, we were both like, "That was awesome." It wasn't only it wasn't until afterwards that I really started thinking about how ridiculous this, just the premise is. Yeah. Then I started having problems with it, but right after the first viewing, I was just like, "That was awesome." <laughs> I want to kind of see it again. But oh, and you know what? I forgot one big movie coming out in 2015, the summer of 2015, Independence yeah. Day four two, ID four two. Yeah. Really, you can't leave that alone. I mean, that's almost a, a perfect alien invasion movie. I mean, it it was one of those that really started the the blowing up of buildings and making it look real. And, uh, you know, that was <clears throat> a fun movie that came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, there was very little fanfare when that movie came out until it came out. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Uh, same thing with The Matrix. But, yeah. oh, my God, could you imagine if they start making more Matrix movies? How terrible that would be. The sequels were terrible as it was. They still made a lot of money. Uh, Yeah, I know, but I think everybody, you know, I went to see them. Everybody went to see them hoping that some of the the magic of the first one will be recaptured in the the sequels. Well, do you know what the, uh, the, the Matrix DVD did, what it helped sell a lot of? The PlayStation 2. Yeah. Because DVDs were very expensive in 1999, 2000. And uh, the PlayStation 2 actually had a built-in DVD player, and it wasn't too much more expensive than an average DVD player of the time, and yet it was also the PlayStation 2. So when that machine came out, it sold almost hand-in-hand, one-to-one, with a copy of The Matrix. That's how popular that movie's DVD release was, and it helped sell the PS2. Most people don't know that, but interesting tidbit. Let's take our first break here, David, and uh, we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Mike McPeak from Bard on the Plains podcast. Growing up on the plains of South Dakota, I used to listen to my dad tell stories about his life. I never had a chance to record any of these, but I realized that everyone has a story to tell. And that's what I try to do on this podcast, tell anecdotes of my own and have other people tell their stories in their words and in their voice. So please listen to Bard on the Plains podcast. It's about stories, mine and yours back here on tech fan number 128 i'm tim robertson he's david cohen and we'd love to get feedback from you guys simply go to techfanpodcast.com you can leave a 
a message there under you know whatever article you want you could also send a voice message there's a way to do so if you go to our website you'll see this little tab on the right hand side click it send us a voice message we'll play it right here on the tech fan podcast an email of course is always welcome tim at tech fan podcast or uh david at tech fan podcast <laughs> i had to think about that for a minute yeah i know i could tell we got feedback last week we did do you want to do you have a handy uh i am trying to because <laughs> you know i was going to say that so you i did I know, and why, that's that's why i was <clears throat> distracted because i was trying to log on to my email account but unfortunately this is one of those things when technology lets you down i put google authenticator onto my email which means to actually get into it now, I have to load up my phone and find an app, find an app, and then run a number and then type it into the web page before I can see my email. So, um, is this all so in case that you you lose your laptop and you don't want to have have someone have access to it? It's about yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a security thing, but uh, you know, the problem with the security is it can be damn inconvenient <laughs> even for the user at times so. well while david's doing that i do want to spend yeah. a few minutes here talking about the stoplight network um it's going extremely well to to put it mildly the stoplight network is something that came out of an earlier network called the mymac podcasting network now when i left uh other world computings uh owc radio I had a choice. I could either go back to the MyMac podcast, but I didn't really want to do that because Guy and Gaz was doing such a great job and they really did make that their own show. Or I could start something new. And that's what we did. We started something new. And that is the show, the Tech Fan Podcast. Now, we also had the Geekiest Show Ever uh, oh. and App Minute. So we had a, a number of shows that either uh, I technically owned or I helped produce. And we kind of wanted to put them under one banner, and it really didn't work just sticking them all under MyMac.com. So we started the MyMac Podcasting Network, but we quickly realized that, you know what, we don't really want the MyMac name associated with it because it, it makes it too limiting. Thus, the Stoplight Network was born. The, the whole idea behind this... Continue. Yeah. The whole idea behind the Stoplight Network, quite honestly, is uh, to help promote other shows in the network so you can grow your audience... And eventually, how many shows have we got now? Oh, hold on. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> 17 different podcasts in the network. Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. And uh, eventually, if there's paid advertising, uh, we'll share in the revenue. But one thing at a time right now, we're just trying to build up the network, getting a uh, a nice diverse group of shows that aren't all about just technology. And I think we're pretty much at that point now, David. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we've got quite a broad church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, look, the network doesn't own any of these shows. They're all think of them as independent contractors. If you will, they own their own content. We, the, the network itself doesn't have any say on what you do or say on your podcast, but if you have a podcast, and you're looking for some promotion of it, maybe the Stoplight Network is uh, up your alley. Yeah, you're kind of like a facilitator. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's fun more than anything else. I'm really enjoying listening to a lot of these new... Like I said, yesterday when I was driving back from Chicago, I listened to uh, the Casual Heroes movie cast. And I had a lot of fun listening to that show, David. Yeah. It was fun. Uh, we've got a brand new show on the network that just started up. 
and I'm scrolling down because I don't want to mess it up any, and it looks like I'm going to because I'm not finding it. Uh, 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 actually, it's somebody that listens to this show. His name's Peter Bird. And it is called The Deeper Look. And to be honest, I have not listened to the first episode. That was going to be the next thing I listened to after the movie cast. But I got a phone call that lasted about a half hour, and it killed the rest of my podcasting listening on the way home yesterday. (laughs) You know how that goes. Yeah. And uh, he did just release episode two, and that will be up later today, along with this episode of Tech Fam. So there's a lot of content. App Minute has been... um, relaunched and that's doing extremely well there'll be a new episode of that today as well it's less than a four minute podcast so you can listen to literally an entire week's worth of podcast from at minute in you know half hour 45 minutes yeah cool so getting back to uh our feedback it's the feedback so this this was interesting because this came from wari i won't try and pronounce his surname wari's out in uh the middle east in dubai i think so, so Wari sent you this email, and I, I'm going to kind of um, – there's two emails here from him because he, he sent it in, and then he replied back as well. So um, he said, hey, Tim, it's been 2004 since I last emailed you regarding GTA. And you said, it was August 2005 concerning Mighty Mouse is not for games. Yes, I still have the email. I'm a digital hoarder sometimes, <laughs> yeah, David. That's right. So – he said, it seems you've got a crappy experience with Android, but, you are, what, but what you're describing is not the Android experience. What you're experiencing, however, is TouchWiz, Samsung skin and apps, and plus a stupid app that Virgin puts in. Right, well, so we have Android, and then on top of Android, we have the Samsung skin and apps, and then on top of that, we have the Virgin Mobile stuff. On yeah, the Sprint and, Network, <laughs> and, and I think you 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 just you just made the point back. It's all very well that he knows that, and you know that, but your average consumer is not going to know that. Right. And as far as they're concerned, it's just rubbish. And so, that's Android. As, yeah. as far as the average buyer out there is concerned, all of this crap that's sitting on top of Android is Android. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, that's the way the phone comes. It's yeah. It's I, I didn't like, exaggerate yeah. my my experience with it, and yeah. I and I really did want to really like this yeah. phone, especially at that price point. No contract, hundred seventy nine bucks. A lot of people compare this to the kind of what they used to be called the shovelware, the crapware that used to come on PCs or yep. still does come on PCs. But the difference is, is with those, it's perfectly obvious to you that it's not part of the operating system. The difficulty with all this stuff that goes on Android phones is that. As a consumer, there's no way for you to tell what the what the un, un, unsullied Android experience is. Right. As far as you, as far as you're concerned, unless you have four phones and they're all different, you don't know which are the bits, the unique bits to the uh, to the hardware manufacturer. You don't know what, you know, if it pops up and asks you your Facebook, it doesn't say ask a re- as requested by the Virgin app. Right. It just it just asks you. So you've got no idea of knowing whether it's genuinely meant to be like that or whether this is something that. You know the the uh, unholy trinity of um, uh, software software supplier, hardware supplier, and carrier have have imposed on you. You don't know. That's right. Yeah. So so Worry goes on to go to say this phone is a low end phone or maybe mid range. As for being an Android phone, there's only one thing that Google cares about, which is your Google account, and from there you should be able to use the Gmail app, not email. That's for Exchange. Um, I'm App and Pop, which you were trying to read Gmail from and re-registered. 
I've been an owner of one Sony, three Samsung phones, one HTC, and several iPhones. I got tired of iPhone, and believe me, none of my Android phones is what you described. Anyway, the pure Android experience is the Nexus devices. I like my Samsung Galaxy Note 2 as it adds a few more codecs and other niceties and no Facebook sign-in is needed for all, for all the phones until you download the Facebook app. Also, there should never be an app that takes over your screen to update itself unless it's an actual OS upgrade. And I agree with him and almost all of that. The, the pure Android experience is much better. Uh, we have a Nexus at work that I use quite a bit. And it's a great device. It really is. It, it works well. It, but it yeah. it doesn't hold a candle to the iPad Mini. It just doesn't. And yeah. as far as, you know, all the... It shouldn't take over the phone. And You're right, it shouldn't. But they do. And that's yeah. the problem. It does yeah. do that. And the average user, unlike us and, and Worry, is that they don't have the technical knowledge to get this bloatware, crapware off their phone. It's just yeah. part of their phone as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And I see it time and time again. And that's what mm. makes me angry that yeah. this is going to become the accepted norm. And it totally shouldn't. And, and, and Warren makes another point here that's interesting, actually. So let me come back on this. He says, by the way, I would be pissed too if I had my Android experience my, like yours. Too bad the phone is not yours, or else one could always throw in Cyanogen mod, which is a, a Cyanogen mod is a. A kind of a custom hack ROM that tries to remove all this stuff that's available uh, for the proper Android experience and then some. I don't have the need to mod my phone, so then again, I don't buy non contract phones that cost $100 from a telco. I'd rather get them retail as they don't have super crapware shoved down your proverbial throat. Now, the, the problem with that is that why should you have to pay top dollar through the nose not to get it right. in the rubbish? And, and the you know? vast majority of people buying these phones are going to buy it under contract. That's just a fact. Yeah. I, I don't have figures, but I would guess it's 95% of people who buy a new cell yeah. phone buys it you know, at a reduced rate under contract. Yeah. And, and also as well, I can tell you that, that a lot of people who are looking to save money on that initial cost, if they don't want a contract, they will go and, and look at what the market is. And if they don't want to buy an iPhone... You can pick up iPhones contract-free for less money if you're prepared to put up with an older model. But the, I know from, from you know, the, the, the places I frequent that there's still plenty of the older um, Galaxy phones knocking around, being sold at a cheaper rate, on, off contract for people who want to save some money. Sure. And they're getting the same experience. Yep. You know, so, so, so that's, that's the real problem. I go back to that, what I said last week, David. Android is going to eventually fail if Google doesn't get a hold of this problem and they're the only ones who can and they can't say well you know it's open source and the, so it's it is what it is they could change things they could make the next version of Android not open source they can go the Apple route and really control the software but they're not going to do that because Android or more importantly Google they don't really care about the user experience they really don't they're, you are not Google's customer and I think this is a bigger point. You and I, David, are not Google customers. Google customers are the advertisers that they get money from. That's where Google makes their money. That's their customer. We, to Google, are a commodity. That's what they're trading. Our eyeballs, our buying patterns, our location on uh, GPS, so they can you know, target the marketing right to you. 
hey, look, they're having a sale close to you. That's that's Google's customers. We're not Google customers. Even yeah. if you if you pay for the professional Gmail, for instance, or you go out and buy a Nexus, you're still not Google's customer. They give you a better experience, but really their customer is the advertising companies out there, the yeah. marketing companies. And that's where the disconnect is between Android and iPhone. When it comes to the iPhone, you are the customer. You are who Apple is selling it to. Plain and simple. Yep. And that's why I think you get a better experience on a whole. Now, super tech, tech geeks, which we are, but we're, we're still in kind of the Apple camp when it comes to what we prefer. Um, but Or people like Weary. They're going to buy something that they can do whatever they want with, which is admirable. And I like it. And I'm that way in a lot of respects. I mean, I'm the guy who made the iAtari Mac, for instance. <laughs> yeah. But the average person out there are not like that. They're just not. These are just devices that are going to pick up and they're going to use as a telephone. Yeah. Like you were talking about earlier with the BBC report. Is the telephone yeah. dead? You're right. It's a ridiculous premise. It's a ridiculous question. And it comes from somebody who obviously doesn't live in the real world. I mean... It's it's ridiculous. Now you could. If, uh, here's a better question, David: Is the f- home phone dead? Now that's a better question. How many people have a landline anymore, as compared to a cell phone? How many people are saying, you know what? I I don't know why I have this landline phone number anymore because I never use it. I just use my cell phone, so I'm just going to stop paying that bill and get rid of it. That's a better question. But to ask is the cell is the phone dead? Stupid. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So anyway, so so Wari, just to finish off, he said, it really seems that the Samsung Galaxy Ring is subsidized by bloatware. I won't be surprised if you can't install more than a few apps on it. Oh, no. Said. No, I've been able to install anything on yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, most of the high-end Android phones do cost almost as high, if not higher, than the iPhone retail no contract, i.e. $800 to $1,000 plus, not mm-hmm. $100 plus. But yeah, you make, you make the, the good point. I mean, anybody who actually sits down and does the maths can figure out that actually is the most sensible way to buy a phone. Sure. Is to pay full full price, full price, retail price for an unlapped contract phone and then buy your service separately. Because otherwise, all you're doing is you're paying... You, you know, you're paying an upfront cost for the handset and that you're, you're spreading that over the life of the contract. But the, the flip side of that is you're locked in. Yeah. You know, you can't go and get a better deal. on. And if the, if the carrier wants to crank up the data costs during the life of the contract, well, it's tough. Um, but, but most people don't see it like that because most people, let's face it, don't have $800 in disposable income lying around to spell on something like a phone. It seems like a luxury. So they will go out and buy a phone on contract. They will pay $100 for the handset, and they will end up with devices like this. So, um, you know, I, I agree with you there. I think the problem is is that they wouldn't offer this sort of phone at that sort of price unless they thought it was going to sell. So I have been using um, this Android phone, and uh, I'm kind of in the same boat that I had been before, David. It really didn't get any better. Yeah, You know, I thought about, well, maybe I'll hack it. That'd be fun. I could hack it. But I don't own this phone. And I think it would be disingenuous for me to go and hack something if I don't own that, you know. But, yeah, I don't know. The Samsung Galaxy Ring, I'm, I'm, 
I've got to give it low marks, David. I really do. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm about to send this thing back, and I'm not going to miss sending it back at all. I just, I'm not. It's just yeah. not a good phone. And I really, I really did want to like this phone. You know, I did. And I think I gave it a fair chance. Yep. But at the end of the day, it's just like, yeah. If this is the experience that people come to expect on these devices, I, I kind of feel sorry for them because there's a better option out there. There's two. Buy an unlocked, no contract phone and get the pure Google experience or buy an iPhone. There's your two choices. I, yeah. and I know you could say, oh, what about the Microsoft phone? Nobody's buying it. They're just not. I mean... Yeah, it's, I can is, count on uh, one hand how many in the wild, newer i uh, window phones I've seen out there. And I go to a lot of places, David. It's not like, well, yeah, you work for an Apple yeah. specialist, so that's how you're seeing. No, I go all over the place. Yeah, I just don't see them. People aren't buying them. No, it's, it's true. It is true that. Um, I wish they would because I think they're yeah. they're good phones. Well, I think they're good phones. I actually think for some people they're better phones than a Google phone if you don't want an iPhone. Um, but you know, the market is speaking on that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't think it's marketed well. I don't understand that Microsoft is, is it markets some things. Like, you know, they advertise Internet Explorer. Yeah. Something, well, what something that's, that's included in every single copy of Windows, and yet they advertise it. I don't, I don't I, get I don't that understand <laughs> why, why do that, and yet you don't advertise your phone platform at all. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> make know. any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Let's advertise the thing that, you know, everybody gets anyway. And let's not advertise the thing that's losing money hand over fist. And, and you know, the flip side of that is, okay, you're going to advertise, you know, Explorer. So can I get it on an Android or the iPhone, the most popular port? Oh, I can't? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> don't, don't, don't port it over to those devices, Microsoft, because, you know, you might get more users that way. Well, I suppose uh, the idea the idea is, is is to try and generate demand for Internet Explorer, and then people go in and say, "I want a phone with Internet Explorer," and the the guys will say, "Well, you want a Windows phone then?" Yeah. But that's that seems so such an indirect way. Narrow minded. Why not just advertise the phone? Yes. <laughs> uh, I did go out and buy something over the last weekend, David. I actually spent money on something. Oh, yeah. um, I've talked about this in the past. Nine to five toys. It's it's kind of the same people who do nine to five Mac. And yeah. what 9to5toys does is they kind of show you the, the gadgets out there at the cheapest price. And I saw this. It was actually through Amazon. And I thought, ah, and it was less than 4 bucks. Plus, because I'm a Prime member, I get free shipping. So less than 4 bucks, or right around 4 bucks, I got the Duo Gamer. It's an app-supported game controller for the iPad. And it's, uh, it plays exclusively with Gameloft games. Which I didn't notice when I bought it. I thought, oh, it's a Bluetooth controller. Cool. Uh, Um, I should have read it a little bit more, but for four bucks, you know, what do I care? It was uh, the sales not going on for that cheap now. Well, they're right. It's exclusively for some Game Loft games. It's not even for all Game Loft games. Like they have a new GTA game, um, something Vegas or something, that is actually pretty good. And I've played about maybe an hour of it in the last month or so. And I actually enjoy the game, but it would be so much better if it had a controller. So this thing comes with this little stand that you can put your iPad on. 
and it's pretty stable too. I mean, when you put it on this little stand, it, it stands up really well and you can, you know, place it on there vertically or horizontally either way. And then, uh, the games that this works with, it works. Okay. But not good. <laughs> right. You know, they, they advertise it with, you know, some of their first person shooter games. And honestly, eh, it felt laggy. It feels like a really cheap controller. And I don't mean cheap in price. I mean cheap, cheap. Yeah. Uh, I'm not happy with it at all. I like the stand. And to be honest, for four bucks for the stand, I feel like, yeah, oh, that was a good deal because it's a nice yeah. stand. But the game controller itself is just, it's rubbish. It really That's is. That's a shame. That's a shame, really, because you, you can only imagine that over time, um, that with iOS 7, for instance, it has APIs for game control, that, that some of these devices would either be updated or, or would be able to be modified so that they would work with more games. I, I hope that's the fact. Um, I want a decent game controller for my iPad, and I'm sure I'm going to get one within the next year or so. And I'll use the stand that came with this Duo Gamer because it's a good stand. Yeah. So I don't I don't feel like I wasted my money completely, but I wouldn't recommend anybody go out and buy this at the retail price. It's like a forty dollar thing, normal price. Yeah. I don't know why it was so cheap. It was just on sale, I guess. But well, I, I guess guess probably maybe they're trying to move some inventory if it, if it yeah if it's not it so out. great. If it's not so great, and the fact as well, it doesn't work with all the games. Now, it did, when I first uh, turned it on and synced with it, it did pop up and say, you don't have any apps installed that work with this controller. Would you like to download some? And I thought, oh, that's different. I've never seen that before. Mm. And uh, it took me to a special page in the iTunes store that's compatible games. Uh, Asphalt 7, Modern Conflict 3, Order and Chaos Online, Brothers in Arms 2, and Nova 3. Now, I kind of like Nova 3, but I haven't tried it yet with this game controller. And that's that's the next thing I want to do is give that one a shot. And I'm hoping yeah. it's better. But it kind of surprised me that Gameloft made this controller in association with someone, obviously. But it's not even compatible with all Gameloft games. No, and, and also as well, I mean, some of those... I mean, Modern Combat 3 is the old is an old game now. Yes. They're already on Modern Combat 4, yeah. which I'm seeing from a review here, does not support the device. Doesn't support the device, right? <laughs> I don't get it at all. I mean, Yeah, that, that, that doesn't really build confidence in uh, Gameloft kind of standing behind this. Uh, well, product. Gameloft, I mean, they make some decent games, but they're all rip-off games from other genres, yeah. from other better-known games. Uh, but that being said, they do them pretty well. You know, the Halo ripoff, which is Nova, is not a bad game. It's it's pretty good. Uh, their GTA ripoffs have gotten a lot better, but there's it's still a company that just makes ripoffs. That's I don't see anything that they make. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be if I'm wrong. Someone let me know that they don't make any original IP of original ideas. They're all marketed. Oh look, you like Grand Theft Auto? You'll like this game. You like. Yeah. Uh, Call of Duty, oh, you'll like this game over here better. Or they don't even say that. They'll just say you'll like this because it's on the iPad. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like the Asylum Studios of uh, of gaming. Right. Asylum, Studi- Asylum Studios is those one is that um, company that does the direct-to-DVD rip-off of big Hollywood movies. Correct. Yeah. Oh, Cinderella's coming out? Here's Cinderella on DVD. You know? <laughs> hand-drawn crayons by a five-year-old yeah they they they, they often stuff like i uh, the big that i remember when battleship came out yeah 
they did uh, they did something. In fact, there was a there was a legal case because I think they they tried to call it battleships something really close to the name. <laughs> and I think they had to change it to dreadnought or you know battle cruiser or something like that. But but you know basically they take the same concept and they they rush it into production and yeah exactly try to hit dvd a little bit before the other one yeah well they what they tend to do is yeah they tend to hit dvd the day before the movie comes out of the theater and uh you know i mean clearly works for them uh you know the funniest thing i saw you know there's the uh there's a uh, kind of spin-off of the cars movies coming out this year called planes Planes. i just you know the funny thing is i just watched both of the previews for that and one you know one looks great and one looks really bad but the animation is very similar yeah exactly well this is it you know they basically just uh theirs theirs is called wings you're right (laughs) and it's, it's it's pretty much the same plot but it's just, yeah, crappily done. <laughs> I think we just described um, Android. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where he's going, no, that's wrong. Harsh. Harsh. That is harsh. But, but yeah, I mean, look, certainly I think Android has gone, is going in a different direction now. In fact, you could argue with iOS 7 that Apple is picking some things up from Android. I don't. I don't think you could say. You know, you could say. Yeah, no. That's why I am exactly saying that. Yeah. They pick some of the yeah. best things about Android and yeah. incorporating into iOS seven. And I don't have a problem with that because Android no, ripped everything off from the iPhone yeah, originally. Cause, so cause certainly, what's good for the goose days. is good for the gander. Yeah, the early days of Android. I mean, it did look like a poor knockoff. You know. But I will also say, and I'll, I'll go. I'll take you a step further, David. I think they're also taking some of the best ideas from Windows Mobile. Yeah. You know? So, and I have no problem with that because they all yeah. do it. What I don't like is if that's your business model is just to rip off what someone else did. Yep. Uh, yep. Let's take a quick break here. Hold on, David. Siri, I'm looking for a new Apple podcast to listen to. Any recommendations? I found one new podcast for you, but it looks like they only record themselves drinking and chatting about the latest Apple news and rumor. Well, that sounds great. What's it called? It's called the Mac Gist Podcast. But Nick, why would anyone listen to that? Well, Siri, alcohol is the anesthesia by which we endure the operation of life. I found these five rehab clinics near you. Would you like directions? Ugh, Siri, enough with the rehab. Just download the latest Mac Gist Podcast now. I'm sorry, Nick. I cannot do that at this time. Go home, Siri. You're drunk. That's not nice. Eh, what does she know anyways? Check us out over at themacgistpodcast.com. And we're back from that break. Uh, we had to, uh, we we're about ready to wrap the show, to be honest. Now, like, I think I said at the beginning of this episode, and I didn't go back to listen to it, but we were supposed to do an interview, and I wasn't sure if it was going to happen or not, and uh, thankfully it did. Now, what's going to happen here is this is going to be a longer episode because I actually did the interview um Without David, uh, it was a cell phone call via Skype, and I can't bring David into a conversation if one of the people are on a cell phone. It's a limitation of Skype that I don't like, but it's there nonetheless. Uh, the interview is with Roger Hector, and uh, this is a product or a project, I should say, on Kickstarter that I learned about in a uh, page on Facebook that I belong to called I'm a Classic Video Gamer. And I thought it was a really cool project, and what really got my attention, of course, is Roger himself being a luminary in the video game industry and Al, Al, Al 
Elkhorn, I don't know why I can't say that real well, who is himself, I mean, he's, if you know anything about video game history, that he's the man. I mean, he's awesome. He, he made Pong. I mean, wow, it doesn't get bigger than that. And I invited uh, Roger Hector to come on the podcast last week, but we got our wires crossed. And we got him on this week, and of course, uh, he came on a little bit later. He's uh, in California time. I'm in the East Coast time, so big time difference. And of course, David is in the UK. Couldn't get it all together, but I did get an interview in with uh, Roger Hector, and I'm going to play that now. Fantastic guy. Uh, I mentioned it a few times during this interview. Seriously is the name of the product. Go to Kickstarter, back this product. It looks really, really cool. I want to play this game, so I'm saying this for my own personal reasons. Go back this project financially because I want to play this game and you'll make me happy if you do so. So here's my interview with uh, Roger Hector. And welcome back to Tech Fan uh, 128. Special episode. It's a little longer than you guys are used to, of course, but uh, I've got a special guest because, look, I'm a video game connoisseur, as everyone listening to this podcast knows. I talk about them quite a bit. Usually we focus on the technology behind video games. Um, and not so much the games themselves. Uh, I've always loved the industry, though. And I've been uh, playing video games since, oh, geez, the 70s. And uh, this guest has been around for longer than I have, <laughs> which is rare for me to talk to someone that's been around this industry longer than I have. And uh, not just following, but working in it. His name's Roger Hector. He's got a really cool uh, Kickstarter project going. We're going to talk about that, a little bit of history. But welcome to the show, Roger. Oh, thank you very much. Good to be here. You are video game, um, what's the word? Um, royalty? <laughs> Vet veteran? Veteran. I like royalty better, though. There's a better ring to it. You've you've pretty much done it all in this industry. I mean, you worked for Atari, EA, Bailey, I mean, Walt Disney, Sega. The yeah. list goes on and on. I mean, you've you've worked for them all. You've seen it all. And uh, it looks like you're going to break out and do your own thing now. Well, it actually wouldn't even be the first time. Uh, it, it is the first time on Kickstarter, uh, but I've, I've uh, done a couple of startup companies that are, that are mixed into the whole thing, uh, and I've done that before. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite, a, quite an interesting road. Uh, a, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of interesting projects an awful lot of evolution of technology and, and a kind of a constant stream of new things to play with. So it, it's all good. I had a conversation with someone yesterday, and he's a um, kind of a middle-of-the-road guy. I'm more liberal, but I'm also a capitalist because, obviously, I live in the United States. Mm -hmm. And he told me, you know, it's so hard for somebody to start something new nowadays. It's, it's so much harder than the old days. And I had to argue with him. I said, no, it's not. It's so much easier, and the playing field is so much more level because of things like Kickstarter. I mean, could you ever have imagined a system like Kickstarter, you know, when you were first getting into video games, that you could really crowdsource development for a company and a product? It's amazing to me. Well, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a combination of things like Kickstarter. Uh, I mean, one of the other aspects that I couldn't even imagine a few years ago was the idea of, of self-publishing something, yeah, you know, publishing your own uh, product uh, without needing a you know a great big distribution organization and 
and and all kinds of other things. You know, you can uh, certainly the uh, you know the app store has gone a long ways towards allowing uh, people to buy things without you know directly from their creators, which is pretty astonishing. Yeah, and Kickstarter provides the uh, you know the the funding step, uh, but it's this other stuff that's combined too. It it blows me away. Well, podcasting is like that too. I mean. It's it's go. radio without the expense of the distribution. I mean, it's yep. it's amazing. So it's we do live in a different world now. Marketing is still something that you pretty much that that hasn't caught up with the rest of the technology out there. Yeah, and marketing, I, from what I can see, is really look the product that you guys are working on seriously. Yes, is uh, I think it's a cool product, but or at least the concept is cool. Uh-huh. But you've got 16 days to go as we record this, and you're at about 5% of your goal. Um, marketing, I think, is probably your biggest holdup right now, isn't it? Not enough people know about this. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, that uh, the, the way Kickstarter originally uh, ran uh, was uh, at least a year or so ago. You know, It was much easier to get a Kickstarter project funded, I understand, because the... Um, uh, the novelty of it, you know, uh, it, it, today there's many, many, many thousands of Kickstarter projects all trying to get some kind of attention. And, and a, a while back there were, you know, there were only a handful of them and it was much easier to, to connect the dots. So it turns out that uh, the history of it, uh, of, of this kind of uh, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, has in the beginning you didn't need that much marketing because you had a focused audience uh, on a small number of projects but now it's really almost all about marketing yeah there are thousands and thousands of projects that hit kickstarter constantly and and just finding them is a real challenge how do you go about marketing this then i mean for instance i found out about it because we're both part of a same of the same uh I guess a page on Facebook called I am a classic video gamer. That's right. And that's how I found you. And I thought, wow, you linked to it. I thought, wow, this is great. This is really cool. I'm going to, this is going to be something that I'm going to fund. I haven't yet, but I promise I will, because this is a game that I actually want to play. And I think it'd be a fun family game. Well, uh, I'll hold you to it, but, <laughs> but actually, uh, uh, the, the whole idea of, of social marketing has very rapidly evolved into a very sophisticated process, um, and again, it's challenging. It, it uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we've done so far, and there's more stuff in the works. But we have found that when people hear about our project, we get backers and we get funding, and it starts to flow. And but but there has to be a, a very extensive outreach to people in order to make it happen, and. And we've used, uh, of course, we've used Facebook. You know, that's an obvious uh, first place to go. But it isn't just a question of posting something on Facebook. You have to com- you have to post every day mm-hmm. uh, in different groups. Uh, there's there are a number of special interest groups on Facebook, uh, like Classic Gamers. You know, like Atari Museum. Like there are many, many, many actually. And and. Uh, Aside from just our personal network of friends, we have to we try to get the word out through Facebook uh, through various groups, uh, and and you know we've had some success getting that done, but certainly not enough. We're we're in the process of uh, of reaching out 
actually much more extensively. Uh, we already have also used LinkedIn. LinkedIn's another great uh, resource for connecting with lots and lots of people in a specialized, uh, you know, with specialized interests like games and gaming. There's lots of LinkedIn connections there. Yeah. And Twitter, I would imagine, is another good source for you guys. Twitter's another one. Uh, you know, we've 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 put out through. We were I was tweeting just before we we got online here, and and uh, uh, the challenge in all of this, of course, is that uh, uh, is again to be discovered. You know, there are there are millions of people tweeting. You know, mm -hmm. every every minute of every day, there's there are there's a just a continuous flow of this kind of information, and uh, and just getting heard and getting noticed. I'm sure you know that that uh, the exact same kind of problem exists in uh, uh, you know in the world of online games and the, the oh, apps. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, discoverability is the uh, <laughs> is the the buzzword that's used all the time. Well, hopefully that this podcast we have about thirty thousand listeners to this podcast. So hopefully some of these uh, listeners will learn about this for the first time and go and support it. Let's talk a little bit about what seriously is because I think it's kind of unique. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. Well, it's uh, it's an idea uh, basically. Uh, Al Alcorn and myself, another uh, luminary from the video game history. I mean, he yes. helped start Atari. <laughs> Someone that's certainly been around <laughs> since the literally the very very beginning. yeah he he now, helped develop he either helped or he did develop Pong correct he developed Pong he yeah. was a guy <laughs> uh, in fact it's actually kind of funny uh, uh, the story about him doing Pong you know he was asked to do it by Nolan Bushnell uh, and and uh, Al was sort of the first engineer in the company. And this was actually back before they had software. This was all done in hardware. Right. And 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 I know a lot of a lot of guys are amazed to think that you know the game wasn't programmed. It was actually it was all made out of hardware. Uh, but no, Al's the one that put it together. He made it work. Uh, one of the things on our Kickstarter page, uh, we did just for fun. And in fact, we just did this. You may not have even seen it. Uh, Is it the audio ad? Yeah, the audio ad. <laughs> That's brilliant. The audio ad. Well, the whole thing is completely nuts. Uh, the piece that we have on on our on our site is is just a taste. But there's also a photograph that we used as the backdrop for our uh, our Kickstarter video, and the photograph is basically the back wall in Al's office uh, for our convenience. But there's some pretty interesting stuff there. And You're not are, following uh, uh, the Facebook enough because I've already I replied to this twelve hours ago, literally, where I wrote when you linked to this wall, I could see some stuff that I would give an arm for on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing stuff on there. Well, the first, the very first quarter that was put into a pong game uh, has been cast in acrylic, and it's sitting on that uh, shelf there. And uh, it's one of those kind of funny things to uh, you know that we thought, hey, people. Most people wouldn't even know that this kind of thing existed, and it was kind of fun to point it out. That's amazing. That is really cool. So he is your partner in this. Yes. Yeah. 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 We've we've known each other. We worked together a long time. Uh, we worked together at Atari, and we've you know we've been good friends for all the all the years in between. So uh, we yeah we were we had this uh, this idea. I think it's been kind of kicked around between us, and uh, the idea of seriously. 
is to combine uh, smartphones and smartphone technology and particularly uh, character uh, uh, generation capabilities uh, that are, are fresh and new within the new tech uh, phones. Uh, we have a, a trivia game that expand is is well expanded well beyond what you would normally think of as a trivia card game there it are, seems there like are, a fun uh, a light-hearted trivia pursuit yes that's that's a good way to put it it's been called uh, kind of a combination of of uh, you don't know jack yep with uh you know with with um uh cards against humanity or something like that there are there are a number of, of uh, interesting combinations, but what's unique about this is that we have this character, who at the moment sounds an awful lot like Siri. Imagine. <laughs> I, know that, I know that Siri is really a a fun uh, a fun character. A lot of people when they get their iPhone, they you know they and they discover Siri. They ask her questions, and and she's programmed to answer. And provide a real variety of interesting, kind of quirky and unexpected answers. And and just playing with Siri, you know, Apple's version of Siri is a lot of fun. But in our case, we took the fun from playing with Siri in in a different direction. We're providing the trivia questions, uh, and the and the, the questions are printed on cards. Uh, but the phone will recognize the cards. And our character, our Siri-like character, she will. Uh, she knows all the answers. I think and it's an amazing she, idea. It seems like an obvious one too. Well, what's different about this, and it's really different from other kinds of trivia card games, is that not only can we deal with questions, you know, simple questions and answers, but we also. Uh, can deal with audio and video clips and still pictures. All kinds of stuff that you can find readily available on the web becomes content for our trivia game. So any given card is, it'll have maybe a couple of questions on it, but it also is a key that unlocks a stream of other questions and answers and funny stuff that can be pulled from the web. I could even see you getting like a celebrity people to read the answers for particular questions. Something like that would be really cool. Now you're talking. That's exactly what we want to do. We're, uh, you know, if we can make this Kickstarter project uh, really happen, our plans are to use a variety of interesting celebrity characters. That would be fantastic. It's, it's the kind of thing that a lot of people in Hollywood would love to be attached to. Uh, there's some real serious, uh, interesting game players that are, are you know, well-known uh, uh, celebrities in Hollywood. Uh, I've worked with them before. I mean, uh, Robin Williams is a great example. He's an absolute, he loves to play games. Mm -hmm. and, uh, He's also a big tech guy, too. Most people don't know that. I've met him a number of times at the Macworld Expo. He's just walking the floor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a very regular guy. When uh, you know in in this kind of atmosphere, and and uh, he he loves it, and of course, uh, you can only imagine what kind of interesting things uh, audio uh, speaking roles he could play oh, yeah. in a game like this. Not to say that we've we've uh, pitched him with the idea because we haven't, but we kind of have to get the uh, get the idea funded, and then. But there's a lot of places that we can take it that would uh, 
you know you can use your imagination that uh, would oh yeah i mean you can have expansion packs for it you could have like i said the celebrities you could have themes so this is the star trek one this is the oh yeah harry potter i mean it's the 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 possibilities are limitless that's why i thought this is the kind of product that i think could really really take off this could be the big craze for one holiday season i really do see it that way well we we hope enough other people see it that way that they're uh, willing to chip in and and uh, uh, you know fund the help us fund the Kickstarter project. But you're right, it it could be something big. So we're we're interested in pursuing it. My my fear, of course, is that it's 16 days to go as we record this, and you're only at five percent. Um, to me, that means you probably aren't going to hit your goal. What happens if you don't? Well, uh, there are other possibilities, and we've you know having. Uh, started companies before and and built products from scratch and brought them to the marketplace. There are other ways and other venues that we you know, that we can take to get this done. Probably through more traditional publishing arrangements, that sort of thing. However, uh, we're we're all in on this Kickstarter thing right now. Sure, it's our sole focus, and that's that's what we're going to see if we can do. If we can attract the attention enough to to get to enough backers, great. If we can't, then We'll probably do something else. We'll we'll find another way to get it done. So the company behind this is You Get It. Yes. It, who is all part of You Get It? How big is that company? Well, at the moment, it's Al and myself. And then the rest are subcontractors that yeah, are actually we, coding we have, for you. We have a real extensive um, uh, group of connections, uh, including people that we've all have already been mentioned in this podcast. Yeah. That would be interested in potentially, uh, uh, you know, having involvement and and actually getting it made is not the biggest challenge for us right now. We're we're pretty sure that that part can be done. Uh, it's it's really just a question of doing these other things, manufacturing and and marketing and yep. getting it into yep. stores, packaging. There's a lot to be done, but oh, yes. I think this is the type of product that once it's actually made, I think it's it's a no brainer for a lot of people. Let me ask you this, and I don't mean to seem, uh, I'm 43. In 1977, I got my first Atari 2600. I was seven years old. Uh-huh. I'm starting to feel pretty old. You've <laughs> got to be in your 60s now. And you're doing a brand new video game with a new company with another guy who's not a spring chicken. And you guys are on Kickstarter and and Facebook. What pills are you guys taking to be so youthful? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where this is going. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I need some energy. And you guys seem to, to still be creative. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you would think that video games is kind of a young man, young woman's type of thing. But really, it's not. I mean, it's you guys are veterans. You guys help invent this entire industry that's worth multi-billions of dollars right now. And yet here you are, you're, you're starting over, you're doing it again. Where do you get that drive? Where do you get that passion to do it again? Probably because I don't know anything else. I mean, we've been doing this all, uh, you know, we've been doing this all our lives. So yeah. We've been inventing and creating stuff. So that creative process doesn't go away with age is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's still time I'd like to think. Absolutely. But, uh, no, we've been, uh, you know, Al has done a bunch of amazing things beyond uh, beyond Pong, and and heck, I've uh, been I've had several continuous parallel careers uh, that include uh, creative design projects. I designed a sports car and manufactured it. 
uh, I've, I've been an artist and, and uh, have done a whole variety of things that have all been sort of creative oriented, but, but games have been at the center of the whole thing, and, and I lo- I've loved them my whole life. You're a renaissance man, Roger. Well, I don't know, but, but uh, it's, it sure is a lot of fun. I got to say, I I admire what you guys are doing. I think that, like I said, this is a really cool project. I'm going to back it myself. Um, I just got to put some more money in my PayPal account today. (laughs) (laughs) I try to keep that small because that's what's tied into my iTunes account. So it it limits how many apps and stuff I can buy. If the money's not there, can't buy it. (laughs) A little fiscal discipline. That's that's right. Well, every now and then I'll go in and look at the stuff that I've actually purchased on iTunes, and I go, ah, wow, I need to slow down a little bit. This is is getting out of hand. But, you know, I was looking at this project as a father. I've got, you know, four kids. They range from 5 to 19. This is the kind of thing that would be fun sitting around the dinner table, you know, cleared off, of course, with all the kids and me and my wife playing this i mean this it seems like it would be a really fun thing to do and it's combining technology and gameplay with the entire family we you've kind of hit on something that i think also tends to make it unique the idea of uh, of uh, not playing a game in a in a insular focus sort of way just you know your head and the game but enter entertaining your friends and being entertained by your friends or your family is is uh, it provides a whole different kind of experience that's that's great and yes this there's no reason why I mean I can certainly see us having a, a deck of cards that's you know the you know family Saturday night uh, uh, game night sure I, Disney yes yes it's my old Disney days coming out yeah um, that kind of thing would be, uh, it'd be a lot of fun to play adults and kids. Uh, there's, you know, the, the edginess that we put or we implied in our video uh, is, is partially there to attract the gamers who are immediate direct audience. Yeah. But I can certainly see having special decks of cards that, that uh, you know, approach it in a variety of different ways. And, and that would be fun, too. Well, you remember the popularity of Trivia Pursuit. You remember those commercials. I remember holiday get-togethers where Trivia Pursuit was on the table and there was family members over there playing it and having a great time. I see this as, you know, the same type of thing. I'll, I'll tell you. If that's I, for me, uh, tell them I'm not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the... Uh, uh, I just got back from spending a week, uh, a vacation week, uh, with my with my extended family, and one of the highlights of our whole trip was uh, getting everyone together at night and playing charades of all things. Oh, that's fun! You know, there's no there's no limit to how crazy that can get, and it's something that adults and kids can play together and. Uh, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed that. We just did it, and it was a lot of fun. I saw someone playing charades with an iPad, and I thought, I wonder if there's an actual app for that. They were just using some painting program, but I thought that would be pretty cool if there was an app for charades for on the iPad. Hey, you never know. That could be Kickstarter, wait a minute. Let me type this up. <laughs> and write it down. <laughs> now, I think this is a fantastic product. Um, it obviously has the backing of, the, of U2, UNL creating this lends it a weight that i think most kickstarter products or um kickstarters i guess is is the correct term nowadays projects don't have i mean you guys are the real deal it's not pie in the sky stuff you guys have been there done that 
Well, we hope. Uh, uh, basically, what our experience has been has been that we've had an excellent response from this very small number of people that we've managed to reach. Mm-hmm. We just, if we can reach more people, we know that we can do more with this. So uh, it's it's really the focus of my attention right now. You know, when we hang up, I'll be uh, I'll be blogging, I'll be uh, out there tweeting, and I'll be you know trying to trying to build some additional awareness for it. Well, I hope this podcast does it for you, David, uh, for uh, David and myself. We want to wish you guys the best. I hope this comes to fruition. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be backing it myself. And even if I wasn't, I would be buying a product like this because I think it's a really cool thing for anybody listening. If you want to learn more about this Kickstarter project, you can go to Kickstarter and you can simply type in seriously question mark, uh, exclamation mark, or you can simply look for you get it. It's one word, U G E T I T, one word, or go to techfanpodcast.com. Uh, look for show number 128. We'll have a link directly to the Kickstarter and uh, back this product, back this uh, project, I should say. It's, it's really cool. I think anybody listening to this podcast would, would dig this. It looks cool. And I wish you all the best, Roger. Hey, thank you, Tim. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And, and it's nice meeting you. It's nice talking. Nice meeting you. 